0: Welcome to Offscreen. Let's get cinematic. Where? On your couch. Uh, That's right, we're bringing you all of the best movies for your seven-day guide to everything movies here on this podcast. I'm Bex Perfect.
1: I'm Van Conner. Welcome. So, cinematic fun ahead, Miss Perfect. I've got a couple that uh, we can talk about, starting with uh, The exception. Or as oh. I'm trying to remember the actual uh, the the, uh, the title for it. Well, I think it's Untaglson is the uh, the Danish title for this. This is from uh, Jasper Nielsen. And it's an adaptation of the Booker Prize-winning novel by Christian Jungersen. It is about four women who work in a Danish research centre. For genocide, and they start getting trolled and death threats from uh, from outside that form these sort of fractures in the relationships between them, as well as the paranoia for everything that's coming from the outside.
0: I thought you would say you'd make some sort of quip about you being the exception, and I thought <laughs> <laughs> we'd be going down that route, but you went serious straight up. I'm down with I that. Didn't that didn't yeah. I was like, you can tell what mood Van's in when he comes straight in and goes like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk seriously about." Movies today. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Oh
1: god! Oh god! I slipped there. I became I became like an adult for a moment. What I know.
0: What is going on? And oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, we're we're talking about to kick everything off. With both both of these movies are subtitled, right? So it's going to appeal yeah. to a specific audience who can uh, tolerate is the wrong word for this, but I do think. Some people struggle with subtitles. And when you see films, I I always think about how great Parasite is because you get lost in the film that the subtitles don't matter.
1: You know, one that I always use as an example as well is uh, the first Raid movie because it's such a wonderfully constructed movie that you could actually watch that without the subtitles on at all. You could just watch that in its native tongue, no subtitles, and you'd probably know exactly what was going on, story-wise, at any given point because it's just so visually performed anyway. But uh, that's that's one I like to quote for that.
0: So how does this? I mean, this sounds like it's a thriller, right? So how does this? Like, you know, we've mentioned big ones like Parasite and The Raid. How does this kind of compare for a Western audience? Uh, well, actually, it's a Western film, but um, a non Danish speaking audience still trying to get involved in this movie?
1: Well, first of all, there's not really a cultural barrier. You know, past the, uh, the you know, it being in another language and the subtitle, there's not really a cultural barrier. It's, it's a fairly universal enough story. It's accessible enough. Uh, as a thriller, it's really good. Like, it's a really <laughs> solid thriller. Like, I was. Hooked on this. There's a little, as a smidge of surrealism, but the performances are great, and the the direction and the staging of it, which is, uh, by, I'm trying to remember what Nielsen actually directed before this. I think there's there's one of the relatively recent Ozark-like streaming kind of shows mm. that he's been involved in but I can't remember which one specifically. Uh, and there's a, there's a style to this that I really liked. It has something of that nastier edge that we're starting to see rise up in female-driven horror and thrillers in the last two years. So thinking, for instance, of things like The Invisible Man and Us, you know, the idea of uh, in, a female empowerment through survival yeah. and visceral violence. Yeah. And, and, and cunning and wits at the same time. This is very much in the vein of that, but there's a lot more of a ninety. 90- style or the Sharon Stone thriller kind of a vibe going Ooh, through. This. Yeah, like, you can Char- absolutely see this. You could see this being remade like with four amazing Hollywood actresses.
0: I was going to say who's kind of the Sharon Stone S character in this looking at the have to say looking at the um the the poster of it. You've got like a blonde, a kind of mousy brown, um a redhead and then a brown-haired girl. So I'm kind of thinking I'm like It's almost like Bombshell. I'm kind of thinking like Margot Robbie, maybe Shalisa Theron, Nicole K- Kidman in there and someone else, I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> but... Well, one face one face, I, I did, I did recognise, and she does kind of walk away the sort of the MVP of the film, is, and you're going to have to forgive me the pronunciation, uh, Seedsa Babbitt nudson who yes. I, it turns out I recognise from Westworld, She's a big player. She's one of the frequent faces. Maybe not one of the big players, but one of the frequent faces in Westworld. And she is absolutely terrific here. I think she gets probably the meatiest role out of the four women. Uh, but they, they're all uniformly great. And there's, yeah. one of them gets a sort of diminutive role. But they're, they're all great, great characters. The staging of it allows them a lot of room to go with that. If it has a downfall, it's only, and I think this comes from the source material most likely, it's that it needs to go a little bit more sensationalist in the third act. It ramps up, just kind of, it stops being about the characters as much as it is about the contrivances of plot. Yeah. It, it goes a bit daft, would be the short version, but it's good enough that it survives that. And it's still a you know a really solid kind of four star nineteen nineties level Sharon Stone esque thriller. Like I would watch the hell out of this if it were made in nineteen ninety three with Sharon Stone and like Sharon Stone and Nicole Kidman, for instance, it would be amazing. Yeah,
0: Yeah. amazing. And do you know what I think? Like you know, with us getting more involved in foreign TV and film just on a more day to day basis, there are there are sites here in the UK like uh, attached to things like Channel Four, like Walter Presents. Um, that specialize in kind of like Danish noir and um, you know other really cool um, oh. like foreign movies that we can see at the touch of a button.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. That's that's there's also the services like Mubi as well. Yeah, oh. Mubi I think is like four ninety nine a month. And they add one like sort of sociological, you know, sociologically important film per day, like regardless of where it comes from in the world. And they're not all necessarily strange art house films from Denmark and nothing like that. Like you know, you might get a parody. you might get. I think last week, for instance, I think they added Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's basically they are kind of like a streaming platform mixed with a film school yeah. in a strange way. They're very cool about it.
0: And of course you know Netflix has loads of um, you know foreign movies on there so there's, if this is your if this is your bag and you really enjoy the idea of, of watching some foreign movies look the first two we've got for you the, the exception number one uh, number two what we're going to talk about in a second the white tiger you know really great options for you so the exception is out available on digital from uh, today and you can catch that so if anyone does take a look at that and want to give us some feedback, definitely let us know we'd love to hear from you.
1: Absolutely, and speaking of Netflix and their involvement in world because let's not forget, like, Netflix won... Did they win Best Picture with Roma, I think, didn't they? Because we did Oscar night together.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I cast my mind back. I kind of don't, no, don't think... think it did win Best Picture. I'm going to check that out, because I actually think, controversially, I don't think it did. Um, well, but, but regardless, Netflix, yeah. Yeah, it was nominated
1: at any rate. Yeah. But regardless, they, they, are, they are back with another uh, highbrow, high-end foreign language thriller this week. And this one is The White Tiger. Now, this is this comes to us on the back of a marketing campaign that very heavily features uh, Priyanka Chopra, because she's also a producer on this, with, of all people, Ava DuVernay. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. yeah, this is an adaptation of a novel that's uh, by uh, Aravid, Aravid Adiga, I think his name is. Uh, it's directed by uh, Ramin Birani, who did... Did you see 99 Homes a few years ago with uh, Andrew Garfield and Michael no, I've heard of it
0: but I didn't catch yeah, it.
1: I didn't, I didn't get to see it, because it didn't wind up being a sort of awards contender, but there was talk of it being. So it got relatively good reviews. Uh, he also did the Michael B. Jordan adaptation of uh, Fahrenheit 451.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Years
1: ago for HBO. Um, which, again, I haven't seen. I hear very good things about. Um, I'd be inclined to expect good things about based on this, actually, <laughs> which uh, stars relative unknown and uh, rising star Adarsh Garav. Uh, he is uh, i'm trying to remember his name uh, he is um uh Balram ba- Halwaii. that's it i remember his surname but not his first name Balram Hawaii. he was raised in the slums he moves to the big city to work as the driver for the family of the uh, for the family that basically own his slum, his slum village, as it were. And as he settles into this role, he basically finds himself scaling the ladder of servanthood, which from his meager beginnings is all he aspires to in life. But when his masters betray him, when they force him to take the rat for a crime he didn't commit and they actually did, it starts in motion this this drive to rebel, this need to game the system. And basically exploit it to his own advantage. So you know what? It's time for him to get his.
0: Over the next weeks, I learned the ways drivers cheat their masters. Okay, take it. number one. Give your master phony invoices for repairs that are not necessary. Thank you, sir. Two, sell your master's petrol to other drivers. As you gain confidence, cruise around picking up and dropping off paying customers. Delhi has many pick-up points. Over time, you will learn them all okay so firstly just a little uh update on what we were talking about earlier roma actually won best international feature film at the oscar wow. didn't win best picture anyway that aside um this film okay i'm gonna go straight in for the jugular here priyanka Chopra. Mm. that's what everyone wants to know is she any good
1: She's very good in this. Now, she's not as major a player in the show. She's the third lead. Now, and she, in terms of stature, that very much befits what you would say. She is the third lead. There are some uh, great great performances otherwise, though. I do think that um, uh, Adash Garav... a Garav... I'm going to have to try and get that pronunciation down because <laughs> I am going to feel like I'm going to be talking about this movie a lot because I really, really liked it. Adash Garav is this brilliantly just... Uh, unexpectedly charismatically, like he really charms from the get-go in this sort of really unorthodox hypnotising away. He just draws you in. You are are off on this. It feels almost like a sort of fairy tale story. It feels like almost a a grand old fairy tale, but at the same time it's gritty and it's grounded. It does have that slightly pulp airport novel sensibility to it. You you do know that this came from a novel because it has that flow and that pattern to it. Um, But again, you're kind of captivated by that charm that he brings to what is ultimately the sort of fairy tale demeanour. And Outside of him as well, um, Rajkumar Rao, who is his direct master, the one he does sir, who he drives around effectively, uh, who's Priyanka Chopra's husband as well, uh, he makes for something of a, a, a very endearing presence as well, because it's, it's this perfectly balanced role where you can see this spoiled brat rich kid, but at the same time, there is that humanity in him. At the same time, it's all the more depressing whenever he kicks that humanity aside and then leans back into the Draco Malfoy-like moments of his spoilt rich brat persona. Um, I think it's a really, really good movie. I think the cinematography in it is really terrific as well. I liked the sound of it. It was a little depressing to have that uh, yet another uh, film set in Asia begin with that Punjabi MC track, that same one. every You know the one. Yeah, yeah, that exact one.
0: Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. So listen, let's round up um, the two movies in terms of the ratings that you give them. So let's quickly go. The exception, how many thumbs up are you going to give for that?
1: Uh, I'm going to give the exception two thumbs up and I'm going to give White Tiger two thumbs up as well. I think solid. they're both really, really good, solid rides.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So there's some great recommendations. Catch both The Exception on digital um, and also The White Tiger on Netflix, um, all available from today. Coming up next, we're going to keep you where you need to be on the couch right now with some top films for free view on your telebox.
1: welcome back to off screen and we're kicking off your roundup of everything well everything we think's worthwhile on cinematic on your telly boxes, as miss perfect says uh, on saturday the 23rd so tomorrow film four 4.50 what we got miss perfect
0: oh one of my favorite family films we have got um of course it's about a young bear who can walk and talk He comes from the jungles of Peru and he ends up in London and he loves, like I do, a marmalade sandwich. Um, Of course, we're talking about Paddington. Um, This is the colourful, brilliantly animated, brilliantly cast and acted movie that will put a smile on your face and I have to say it might even have spawned an even better sequel to the first
1: oh it's, you say I always I associate you with Paddington whenever someone mentions Paddington, I know what you're going to say I I'm always immediately think of you because I always remember how giddy and filled with childlike wonder and excitement you were just before the screening of Paddington 2 a few years ago with the little marmalade sandwiches cut in the number
0: two shape did you, but, did, uh, did you remember how many of those marmalade sandwiches I ate before the screening I
1: was like forging oh, yeah. on them <laughs> <laughs> we, we went we went full ham on those things yeah. we really did so um I, that's the thing as well you say about how everything about this works the casting is so good in particular because i, I you feel like as well this was going to be colin firth originally doing the voice of of paddington and no. then I think they decided he sounded too sexy or something he sounded too he sounded too good in fact he I, didn't quite have the wonder it was too star powered
0: yeah and i then, couldn't then imagine Rishaw, it. Yeah, Ben yeah, Whishaw, is,
1: Whishaw filled in, yeah.
0: Yeah, and what a, what a great gig for Ben Whishaw. It was just such perfect voice casting there. But then you've got Hugh Bonneville in there, um, Sally Hawkins, Julie Walters. Um, this is a film that I think, you know, is quintessentially British. And it has, it has the comedic balance where it knows how to take the mick out of itself. It knows how to entertain the kids. It knows how to entertain the adults. This is like a full circle... Um, You know, it comes at you from every angle and just... If, if you don't have a smile on your face when you watch this movie, you've got a, you've got a heart of stone. I mean...
1: Oh, oh totally. Totally. And I, I think the first one as well, is, because the first one's the one that has Nicole Kidman as, as yeah. the villain, the sort of Cruella like villain that wants to stuff him. Do you want to stick him in the museum or something?
0: Yeah, it's like Night at the Museum kind of yeah. feel to it, but then actually she's just, yeah, she's quite equal. She, she plays evil really well sometimes, I think. Um, and it's, it's, the, the great thing about these movies, and obviously in the second movie, we get a fantastic comedic turn from Hugh Grant and there's oh
1: yes that Hugh Grant villain is the best
0: isn't it like the moment one of my favourite bits of, of, of both films but of the second film in particular is when you go into Hugh Grant's character's apartment and there's all these old Photos of actual Hugh Grant, uh, like publicity shots, all that kind of stuff, and it just is—it's such a brilliantly British comedic moment. It's fantastic.
1: You know what I discovered the other day? You talk about how they—they're using like, actual photos of, of Hugh Grant. Um, it, apparently, in the movie *Gone Girl*, the the pose, the photo they use of uh, of Rosamund Pike, like for her missing yeah. ad. Apparently, that is her photo from the London Critics Circle Awards in twenty twenty thirteen or something, and that's apparently where it's taken from wow. which I just thought was just an amusing little weird crossover
0: there. I like that I like yeah. that little anecdote so Paddington film for 4.50 will certainly brighten up your weekend um, even if Storm Christopher is still hanging around which I really sincerely hope he's not um, but uh, yeah that will just get you going now one of my favourite films of all time Uh, which I watched when I was, I think, again, far too young to appreciate (laughs) it, but really loved it, is Fargo. This is on ITV4 at 11.05pm. Are you a fan of Fargo?
1: I am a fan of. Fargo. I don't think anyone can not be a fan of Fargo. It's it's it is kind of the quintessential Coen Brothers movie. It's it's in the top five, if it's not kind of everyone's most associated one now. I think it was one of the staple cult films of the of the very very mid nineties. In fact, I think it's ninety five or ninety six. Yeah, Fargo. But I think it's the okay. the first. I think it's the first time I can remember uh, Frances McDormand properly getting her due. She had been in films before, but she was a very sort of middle of the road player i think before in things like dark man playing the, the love interest in that things like that um but going to uh, uh, fargo was i think the first time she started getting props. any props and then that, of course led 15 15 years or so later to uh three billboards oh yeah her role her, her, her applause in that and now she's getting love for nomadland so i feel like fargo is a quintessential film of the francis mcdormand uh filmography definitely
0: yeah, absolutely, and of course, alongside uh, William H Macy, Steve Buscemi. You know, it, it, for me, this is the story about. Um, you know, she's she's essentially like a Mountie uh, police officer. Uh, North Dakota. I want to say yeah. North Dakota. I think one of my favorite lines in this is, and you probably see it when it's promoted, is where she sits talking to the girls in the bar, and they're like, yeah. "Oh yeah," and they're like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's so great, and it is. Yeah, it's classic. Cohen brothers it's uh, you know she was up for the um best actress um oscar for this as well and you know she is a powerhouse and can lead any tough movie because i think that's what she is she's a tough character actress and she plays this role really well so if you have if you've watched maybe the fargo tv show and you're thinking what you know what what, what spawned this what is what has kicked this into place you have to watch yeah. the original yeah, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so treat yourself, guys. Sunday, Sunday night, 11.05 p.m. Maybe press that record button if it's a bit too late for you, but it's definitely worth keeping in your collection. Right. Speaking of keeping in your collection, Dan,
1: take us through to how we're going to kickstart our week, because it's, it's, it's a big one. Yeah, let's let's go for a bit of trash then. So Monday night, ITV4, 9pm. I want to just preface and say, when we picked the films this week, the way this works is I give Bex a list of all the half-decent films that we would consider half-decent films that are going to be out for the week, and she picks one for each day, that is it. And I'll occasionally chime one in, like I'll say, can I have this for Thursday, and you can pick the rest, I don't mind. And that's kind of what's happened here, and she's picked this one, and I'm so glad she she has because this is one of my go-to trash films it's the best of a bad bunch admittedly but if you want a film that's just this is the aldi ramen noodle of cinema that's what it is this is not even the the super noodle snack this is not even the just add milk boil on the hob for two minutes pasta snack of the cinematic offering this is really the 5p aldi
0: this is why this is why we love the mid 90s this is a 1995 Film. What we're talking about is Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. I didn't even know it was called Dark Territory.
1: But it never gets called that, and I think I love it. I love that it's called Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Yeah. And it's because there is a segment in the film in which they go into a place called Dark Territory. So do, do explain? Right, so this is the second cinematic feature to uh, sport the, uh, the character Casey Ryback, played by Steven Seagal, who in the first movie was a chef aboard a U.S. aircraft carrier or a warship, that then got taken over by terrorists, and he was the only one who had to die hard his way to freedom. This time around, they're doing the same thing, but instead of on an aircraft carrier, he's on a train. And he's traveling with his niece, who's like a 16-year-old Catherine Heigl. And uh, he's also got an assistant who's a sort of bellboy played by Morris Chestnut. And the guy taking the, the the train hostage is played by Eric Bogosian as a presumed dead NSA hacker who's just mental, as he claims. They they keep going on about how he's just snapped, he's just insane, damn it, or he's just a psycho. And even he references it over and over. And his team of unforgettable goons who must. Uh, you know, prevent Casey Ryback from you know, taking the train back, whilst they attempt to hold the government hostage over a state-of-the-art cyber weapon. I- I'll-, I'll give you the gist from this dialogue.
0: Ryback's tactics. Ryback. That's what it says. Ryback. Casey f-
1: Ryback. Jesus Christ. Who's Casey f- Ryback? Casey Ryback's a former SEAL team captain, a counter-terrorist expert.
0: He's my instructor at Fort Bragg.
1: He's the best there is. I thought you're the best there is, Penn. she shot the intruder, did you see the body? No, just a of blood, and if you get
0: run over by a train, you just... Did you see the body? I assumed she was
1: dead. Assumption is the mother of all f- Now, one available man to resume a full train search, inside and out, car by car, include
0: all AC... You kind of—it's a bit like Liam Neeson. You kind of want to go, God, just give the guy a break. He's on a train, like, chill out. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, this is—you know—this is the movie. This is, I, I put this in for pure nostalgia, and you know, it sends me back. You
1: get what you pay for with this one. Look, it's, an, it's an Under Siege two. You know, what? you knew what you get with Under Siege one. You damn sure know what you get with Under He's Siege like two. He's like your
0: Gerard Butler, isn't he? If you're like Steven Seagal, yeah. is your Gerard? butler of the 90s of like but the the under siege one it's quite an iconic poster with him in his like full navy naval regalia and then the ship just in front uh, like i just yeah look i look take it with a pinch of salt it's pure trash it's great fun it's the mid 90s steven seagal whatever you think of him now back in the day what's not to love
1: Well this is the thing, I mean it, on on a sort of on its own levels, if you're judging it sort of on its own spectrum, uh, it doesn't have as good a villain, for instance, as the first movie I mean, don't get me wrong, it has an interesting enough villain, Eric Boghossian going sleazy hacker. Is a lot of fun. It's just it has a very different energy to Tommy Lee Jones in yeah. the first movie. And yeah. Tommy Lee Jones as that very obviously Mick Jagger inspired, you know, evil terrorist slash rocker is that's quite an image. Like it, it's weird to remember Tommy Lee Jones being that young in the leather jacket with the headband and the the Mick Jagger hair with the with the knife between his teeth and things like that. I a very different energy. I don't think it works quite as well, but uh, it, it, it's vaguely amusing <laughs> it's amusing you know i have a good time with it it's, it's fun to see the really awful visual effects as uh, steven seagal runs through an exploding train and things like that
0: oh you gotta love it for that so guys check it out monday it's gonna kick off your monday night 9 p.m itv4 um a lot of harmless fun but not so harmless for steven seagal <laughs>
1: Looking to stay in the loop with the latest movie news? Then say hello to the Daily Reel. Your bite-sized hit of the biggest happenings, hirings, firings, release dates, scandals, and everything else going on behind the silver screen. Delivered to your ears every weekday morning in less time than you'll spend in the shower. Subscribe to the Daily Reel on all major podcast platforms or ask Alexa to install the Daily Reel skill for your morning flash briefing. Make your morning cinematic with the Daily Reel.
0: <laughs> no, don't get a sampled by those copyright scanners on youtube backs. geez oh i know because it was such a clear <laughs> copy copyright issue i've just put up there um the reason why i was doing that is if you didn't recognize through my dulcet tones um we're talking about the next uh block of movies for you here at off screen and i'm kicking off your tuesday with one of my favorite films of all time i keep saying this but this is when you put me in charge of picking these movies I Get to pick some of my faves and the Blues Brothers, um, everybody loves somebody, you know. Um, it's such a stone cold classic, isn't it? Oh, just love it. Um, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, it's on your TV screens on ITV4, 9 p.m. on Tuesday. I mean. This is brilliant. It's about the two brothers. They're released from prison. They're known as the Blues Brothers. Their task is to save the orphanage that they grew up in. um, And they're convinced they're on
1: a mission from God. They're
0: on a mission from God. Hallelujah. Um, And the way they do it is they want to get their band back together. Um, So it's, oh God, it's just such a great film. And it will get you dancing on your feet um, in your living rooms and God, what a I I often think, like, what a shame that we lost John Belushi so young because he was such a talent, and Dan Aykroyd, both of them, from Saturday Night Live to this, amazing.
1: Well, that's it, because this this is the earliest that I can think of spin-off out of uh, Saturday Night Live. I know there have been things like Animal House that had a lot of the same kind of overlapping talent, but that's kind of incidental to Saturday Night Live. This is the first mm-hmm. film I can remember properly spun out of you know having been created through saturday night live which is obviously where the blues Blues brothers i think had debuted as characters and then in the same way that wayne's world would do so wayne's world with with the blues brothers through that way but uh, dan ackroyd john belushi sadly john belushi would pass uh, not long after the blues brothers and then you know years later dan ackroyd would do the sequel with john goodman and joe morton and it was just an absolute travesty but this first one is just wonderful. It just had an absolute who's who of Motown talent. The, James uh, the Brown. Efforts, the, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Aretha Franklin, people like Cab Calloway, people like that. It was just an amazing roster. What a soundtrack for a film.
0: Yeah, and that soundtrack is just... I grew up with that soundtrack and, you know, Minnie the Moocher, all that kind of stuff. You just... You'll hear it and you know immediately it's associated with that movie. So, guys, get... I'm talking about nostalgia yet again, but get some of it in you because... In, in these kind of times that we're living in, you need something to really uplift you. And there's nothing that can uplift you quite like the Blues Brothers. So that's on ITV4 at 9 p.m. Now, another film that I think will really uplift all of us uh, is from a franchise that is so bonkers, so brilliant, so <laughs> fantastically directed by George Miller that it's spawning and it's carrying on. And we're seeing Anya Taylor-Joy step into the fold uh, in the yeah. next year or so we are talking about Mad Max but Mad Max 2 Van.
1: yes Mad Max 2 or The Road Warrior as it's called in different places Uh, this is the one where uh, this is the one in which Mel Gibson's Max Max Rokostansky I think his name is who is you know the sort of desolate loner effectively the one man cowboy army kind of thing but done in a sort of dystopian australia happens upon a settlement a sort of gasoline rich settlement they've got like a well of, of of fuel which makes them a target for bandits and in exchange for uh, for you know their help in in aiding him to move along on its way and like repair him and patch him up and let him move on uh, max agrees to help protect this village from the army of bandits who you know being a Mad Max movie, all look like they've just stepped out of the S and M club. You know, they're all uh, head to toe in the bondage gear, despite the fact that it's the middle of the Australian desert.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's like Burning Man. <laughs> I go you know, the scenery, yeah. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot yeah, of Nipple piercings. In
0: yeah, yeah. See, I was I was getting a bit confused. I thought this was the one with Tina Turner. Um, Oh, no, that's Mad Max
1: 3. That's Beyond Thunderdome.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing. And I was like, I thought that was Mad Max 2. Two
1: men enter, one man leaves.
0: I love it. I love it. And God, what a queen Tina Turner is in that. Um, But anyway, this is just as, you know, this is just as good, just as iconic. The the whole, like the fact that actually a third movie in a franchise is super iconic is incredible when it comes to, to Mad Max.
1: Well, the one thing I always remember about Mad Max 2, I think Mad Max has a lot of the, uh, the Evil Dead kind of a thing going on. for You, you know how Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 are effectively the same movie? Yeah. Like rather than actually make a sequel, what Sam Raimi did was went and remade the first movie with an actual budget this time, with like a proper budget. Well, comparatively. But for some reason just decided to call it Evil Dead 2 anyway. It's very much the same kind of thing with Mad Max 2. It is canonically... you know, the next chapter and everything. But it does feel like, okay, now we're going to show you what this looks like when we've got, like, a proper budget in it. Because the first movie really is as bare bones as it can get. It works. It's a really really good but it's very bare bones. Mad Max 2 is where you you kind of get the the first sort of proper setup for what will become Fury Road. You know this absolutely blinding post apocalyptic aesthetic. But Mad Max, what Road Warrior is definitely where that begins for me. I think.
0: Sure, sure, I'm I'm with you on that as well. And do you know what? Again, I'll, I'll go back to kind of, I suppose what I was sort of saying about Steven Seagal. Whatever you think of Mel Gibson now, <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. Um, as Max in this. Br- blooming brilliant, I have to say.
1: You know what? He is the villain in an upcoming film that I think we're going to get to review in March called Boss Level that is basically Groundhog Day with a, with a sort of a mercenary who keeps getting killed in a variety of different horrible ways. Wow. Like there's a, every assassin in the world is after him, John Wick style. And it's basically him trying to survive, but at the same time, he's going through Groundhog Day. It looks so much fun. Yeah. But Mel Gibson's the baddie. I can't wait.
0: Yeah. And if you guys can't wait to get your Mel Gibson fix, then Mad Max 2 is on ITV4 at 10pm on Wednesday. Now, when I do these, uh, these, these picks of the week, um, as Van alluded to earlier, sometimes he kind of just says, look, here's a selection, you pick whatever you want. And sometimes he goes, no, but I definitely want a movie in this. And and that <laughs> happened this week. That happened. Um and I might go and watch this as a result of Van's pushiness around this (laughs) Um, Crimson Tide ITV4 9pm What's your, what, why, why the love?
1: Right, I love Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide is a, is it 1995, 1996 thriller from Tony Scott? It stars Gene Hackman, Denzel Washington, Vigo Mortensen, James Gandolfini, George Zunder. It's just got a hell of a cast in there. Right, there's a young Ryan Philippe in there. It's to say, it's a vintage Brookheimer film, Jerry Brookheimer producing, so it's got that kind of you know CG-enhanced camera motions and things like that, the quick-cut editing. It's got the gritty, machismo-driven script that's got those little pearls of wisdom. You know, it's, it's just a wonderful film. And the gist here, this, this one follows um, a, a mutiny on a, on a nuclear submarine yeah. during a time of great political tension between America and, uh, well, uh, what sort of seems to be well, Russia in the midst of a coup. And they are cut off from communications with the home base just after they come under attack and having received orders to launch a nuclear strike. However, they've also received another command, but the transmission is garbled. The captain thinks, to hell with that, we've not got the instructions we should launch. And the first officer says, no, we should play it safe. And hence a mutiny erupts between Denzel and Gene Hackman. Honestly, you can't beat that for an awesome concept. What I'm saying, Captain, is that we have backup. Now, it's our duty not to launch until we can confirm. You're presuming that we have other submarines out there ready to launch. Well, this as Captain, I must assume that our submarines could have been taken out by other Akulas. We can play these games all night, Mr. Hunter, but I don't have the luxury of your presumptions. Sir. Mr. Hunter, we have rules that are not open to interpretation, personal intuition. Got feelings, hairs on the back of your neck, little devils or angels sitting on your shoulders. Captain. We're all very well aware what our orders are and what those orders mean. They come down from our commander-in-chief. They contain no ambiguity. Captain. Mr. Hunter, I've made a decision. I'm captain of this boat.
0: Now shut the f*** up! I always get this film slightly mixed up with Hunt for the Red October.
1: I can understand that because they're submarines and the posters are red. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can understand that completely. Um, this, I think this is a better movie. This is yeah. way, way better, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, again, I'm... I... I'm going to rewatch this because um, because of that conflict that I have of kind of not remembering which one's which. But what a cast.
1: Oh, the thing to remember about this one as well, this is the one that has a script that was given a sort of rewrite by uh, Quentin Tarantino. They brought him in to punch up the dialogue. Wow. So there's literally a point in which two naval officers start beating each other up in an argument over who created the coolest iteration of the Silver Surfer.
0: Of course, which, of course there is. Yeah, you know, that
1: kind of like weird, random pop culture aside in the middle of it. But other than that... It's a really good movie. Like, I think this is just a really solid thrill. This is, I think, one of the best thrillers of the 90s. Just never gets anywhere near the credit it deserves.
0: I'm currently taking my, my hubby through um, a, a journey of 90s movies. We've watched A Few Good Men... Uh, we've watched uh, Crimson Tide uh, not Crimson Tide sorry uh, Cape Fear the other day ah, yes. um, so I might add this to the list for this weekend because uh, I think this will be a really good one to to show here yeah,
1: absolutely I think it is showing on like, Amazon Prime as well so I think you can I think maybe on Prime
0: yeah, yeah. nice yeah. brilliant okay well let's round off your weekend and I had to pick this one uh, as a bit of a, a, a finisher uh, because I think you always need a bit of an uplifting funny movie to take you into a weekend where you're not going be doing much um so on uh itv2 nine o'clock uh we have and again this shows uh, i've got a real love for not obvious reasons for zach efron but one of the big reasons is that he is very diverse as an actor and his comedic side is brilliant and this yeah yeah, this movie bad neighbors um, it has one of my favourite lines of Can you just "Keep it down," <laughs> from Rose Byrne, and um, it also stars Seth Rogen, Dave Franco, as well. Um, this is the story of uh, a couple called Mac and Kelly who have a peaceful suburban life, but it's offset when a frat house is next is put next door to them, and they are basically continually inhabited by college. Uh, constantly partying college students and they try they no matter how hard they try these guys will never ever pipe down
1: no it's absolutely it's chaotic as hell isn't it i think it's a really fun movie um the the sequel actually isn't bad it's just it's a bit of a retread i think like once you've done it once you you're kind of you're kind of stuck in it's horror monsters again you know, it's, it's horror losses too. There's no way to do that and make it completely work.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, there's some stuff about the second stuff that, you know, is pretty decent. They do a pretty good exploration of, like, Zac Efron's character and where he might go. But other than that, you do, it, there is a retread to it. The first one that I think is very good it does have a great moment involving a, a Creed song. In which he's discovered that this frat house uses the song "Higher" by Creed <laughs> as a sort of party chant, which I have a lot of, lot of, lot of respect, all of <laughs> for that one. Yeah, give me, give me some two thousand Creed, man. Yeah. shout out to my boy Wilson for that. But um, yeah, this is I think this is Zac Efron trying his, you know, his bro comedic route, his Apatow level humor, his yeah. Seth Rogenism, and I think this leads to him doing Baywatch as well, yes. for instance, and things like that awkward moment where he did branch out into more broader, gross-out sex comedy kind of things for a while, like for five yeah. minutes, and and he was pretty good at them, to be fair.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, you know, and then he went and made documentaries about, you know, how we can save the planet. Um... <laughs> <laughs> they all take a career
1: pivot. I mean, like, Robert Downey Jr. is trying to invent AI or something to solve global warming.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're all taking a leaf out of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's book. But look, if Very you have incredible. a quick Google of, of Bad Neighbours, there are a few reviews that are like... Weekly drawn characters, a few laughs. It's kind of enjoyable. Guys, take it for what it is. It's a fun Friday night movie. It will get you laughing. It's definitely not one for the kids, but it's got great performances from Rose Byrne, Seth Rogen, and of course Zac Efron. It's on <laughs> ITV.
1: Is this the one with Ike Baronholtz in as well? I think it is, isn't it? I think it Ike might Barinholtz be. is Seth Rogen's best friend in this one.
0: I, maybe. I'll have to double check. It ch- might
1: be Ike Baronholtz. I remember Seth Rogen's best friend character being played by someone Yes, yes
0: it is. Jimmy. He plays Jimmy. Yes, yes, it yeah. is, yeah.
1: He gets some really great moments in this as the sort of idiot sidekick friend. I yeah. think he's really underappreciated in these films. Yeah. Ike Barinholtz is great anyway. But yes, as you say, ITV2, 9pm, Friday night, Bex.
0: Absolutely. And coming up next for you, uh, we will be back with some DVD, Blu-ray and, of course, streaming.
1: Welcome back to Offscreen. And yes, it's time for your DVD, your Blu-ray, your streaming options, which, you know, in in better times, we would say these would be your home offerings, but I guess... Alas, for now, it's the long-awaited... I can't believe this has taken so long. So, Monday, the 25th of January, we finally get the DVD and Blu-ray release in this country of Bill and Ted Face the Music. It's taken, like, six solid months, hasn't it, wasn't it? All yeah, was-
0: and and I remember... So, this was released in the UK. It was released in cinemas... For mm, obvious definitely. reasons it took no money um and this,
1: 30, 300 grand or something like that
0: uh yeah for obvious reasons this should have gone straight to streaming and had a big marketing push for it to do that or video on demand or whatever and it i mean the cult audience of bill and ted like me who was absolutely chomping at the bit to go and watch this would have paid good money for it. But I certainly wasn't going to go out to the cinema, unfortunately.
1: No, I completely agree. Of course, the plot this time around is it is pretty much real time since the events of Bill and Ted's bogus journey. It's been like 30 years. They're now middle-aged dads to 20-something slacker children themselves. Uh, Billy, her name's Billy, like... Shortened to and, Short and, uh, and, uh, and the- Dora Theodora, I think yeah. the name. They literally have named their kids Bill and Ted as well. And uh, they are uh, summoned by the, uh, the sort of high court judges of the future to tell them they have like 17 minutes, or sorry, uh, 70 minutes to record the song that's going to save all of time and space and reality from imploding in on itself.
0: Greetings, my excellent friends.
1: Do we know you?
0: I'm Kelly. Hey, you're Rufus's daughter. I am, and I've been wanting to meet you my whole life.
1: It must be very disappointing.
0: Not at all. We have a problem, gentlemen. Potentially a very
1: serious problem.
0: About the music?
1: About the music. They just want to talk to you. (laughs) Dude, I got a very bad feeling about this. It'll be fine, Ted. They totally love us in the future, dude
0: a couple of lovely little nods to rufus actually um in in this movie which i really appreciated um but this so okay i'm coming at this as a, a big fan of the first two movies um i actually rewatched them in anticipation of watching this and those movies still hold up i was a bit meh about this movie it kind of it satisfied audiences in a couple of ways. I thought Death was brilliant in it for a small section of the film and I was so glad to see that. I thought um, Alex Winter was great um, as he came back. Um, uh, But Keanu Reeves, interestingly, like, he has aged really well but in this, he just looked like He'd aged a million years. It was crazy.
1: Seeing him with the beard, that's why he's had the beard for so long now that you've forgotten like what he actually looks like. That's yeah. totally what happened. But I mean, I agree with you. Like, I don't think, for one thing, I don't think the film is in any way as memorable as the first two films. No. Uh, it's it certainly doesn't quite justify its existence, but what it does play as eventually like, I mean I came at it as a huge fan. I was really let down at first. I didn't like the sudden pivot to something a lot more forced in terms of a ticking clock this seemed a lot more stringent about pushing that impending deadline down upon the characters than the previous movies it didn't feel like it stopped to breathe quite as much yeah at those two movies in the first two movies always had that they had even though bill and ted aren't stoner characters it had that stoner movie appeal of yes we're in a crisis but we've got to stop just breathe deeply make a zen like wisecrack and yeah. then we'll move a leisurely pace feels a lot more rushed and a lot more haphazard yeah great stuff in it I love there's a cameo by Dave Grohl that I think is just absolutely tremendous yeah it's interesting to me that Bill and Ted don't really aren't really asked to update their musical stylings so much as they are incorporate other genres into it. So Kid Cudi, for instance, is a very minor character in the film. It's, there is this subtle uh, incorporation of elements of hip hop and rap and things like that into the Bill and Ted sort of fandom. Sort of lore and mythology as well, which I thought was quite a neat addition. I like it on the whole, and it's a decent and it's a very good celebratory send-off, but at the same time, it's not essential viewing.
0: No. Uh, the, the thing is, for fans, what you're going to see that's going to really make you chuckle is they bring back the real Mindy. I mean, Mum. The real deacon. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, Missy, I mean, Mum.
0: Yeah. Um, Miss Misty. Misty Mindy. No, no, it's Missy. Missy, Missy, sorry, Missy. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Mindy Kaling. I was just thinking of Mindy Kaling for some weird reason. Um, But Missy, I mean, Mom, uh, Deacon, like all of that stuff. And then they have that element from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure of just bringing back all these characters from history again. And that bit, I was a little bit like, oh, you're an eye roll because we've seen it all before and I kind of wanted them to do something else. But then there's something else of them seeing their old selves and and like the failure versions of them. I didn't love that either. So it didn't piece together like a solid puzzle for me. So I'm totally with you that this isn't essential viewing, but it is a lot of fun for fans.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. It is, it is a lot of fun, as I say. But so, that's available on DVD and Blu-ray from this coming Monday, the 25th. Also out the same day, and this is in no way really as memorable either because I hadn't even realized that this hadn't come out yet. It's Await Further Instructions, which is a sort of British... Is it British or Canadian? I can't quite remember i think it might be american made filmed in britain it's got an intriguing uh, sort of lineage to it it's like i think it's american money but they've made a british horror movie for some reason that's a, a little bit kind of prescient now that i think back on it so it's the story of a guy takes his girlfriend home to meet his parents for christmas in britain just as and they wake up one morning they're walled in their house there are government instructions coming over the tv to tell them to in wait, await further instructions and then the government starts issuing increasingly strange instructions in order, for, in order for the family to survive. And it's a question of how far the family are willing to go before they really indulge in their own paranoia. It's visually quite an interesting film. It doesn't quite land as successfully as it needs to. It's a, a, little, bit, uh, it's a little bit unsuccessful in really selling the, the, the true reality of what it's going through. It does kind of feel a bit needlessly hammy. I think Right I think it's grittier than it is Okay But visually quite interesting It's called Await Further Instructions Also out the same day is the doorman you might have seen the trailer for this with Jean Reno and Ruby Rose
0: No I haven't actually but I didn't realise that that was Ruby Rose Okay interesting
1: So this is Ruby Rose, sort of the ex-Special Forces mercenary type who takes a job as a doorman in one of those sort of New York apartment buildings. You know, those boutique ones that have, like, you know, the doorman with the nice hat and the coat. stands behind a reception desk.
0: Okay. She's kind of... I I slightly eye-roll at this because it's like come on Ruby Rose do something different like you know she kind of plays a similar character in everything
1: you know what she's she's fun at it I say let her do it I mean I hear this is kind of disposable fun I'm looking forward to watching it I will give this a watch now Um, but you know it's it's Jean Renaud and Ruby Rose in you know a a poster that's got flames on it with a bright yellow background I kind of know what I'm expecting when it's Ruby Rose is the doorman I'm kind of like yeah this is like Steven Seagal is the janitor you know (laughs) mop the floor with them you know it's just you know it's kind of nonsense but i'm in it i mean i mean i'm on board like throw me some throw me just throw me a couple of cool death scenes you know a couple of well choreographed fights and some some lantern jawed action movie dialogue you know and i'm i'm good you know
0: fair enough fair enough well let's move across to um to streaming now um there is a big movie coming out on on friday on um Netflix. On, isn't on, it? i was about to say on the netflix <laughs> on the netflix yeah. you hear about it on the facebook Rebecca? i may i may have done the van um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is a movie it's had quite a lot of press about it um stars Kerry mulligan stars uh lily james ray fines johnny flynn Ben Chaplin as well is in this as well, and it's um it's a drama uh, which is uh about a, a well-to-do lady out in the country who employs um I suppose like not a farmer but someone who who knows how to do some ex- excavating. He's, he's he's a sort of
1: amateur archaeologist. He was a, yeah. an amateur archaeologist, was because this is a true story. This is based on the uh, the Sutton Hoo ex- uh, ex- excavation, as yes. it's called. And, they, they, uh, and like you say rich rich lady who thought she had stuff that needed excavating on her land and hired a, an archaeologist to basically dig it up and catalog everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely and they discover this massive viking ship and it's just you know it's it's, it's big. Um and uh, this uh, this this movie there was uh, some interesting things about this. Originally Kerry Mulligan's character was supposed to be played by Nicole Kidman, but um Kerry Mulligan's step- it's a bit of an age difference, isn't it? Though? Yeah Um, because the casting between because there is a a romantic tale between her character and uh, Ray Fiennes' character and I kind of thought that was a bit weird and I didn't feel like she was old enough to play this woman of stature who you know had this land and all that. Well that's it isn't
1: it because she's as well at the moment because she's been quite heavily advertised on Promising Young Woman She is playing sort of like, you know, a 28 year old, you know, viper hot psycho assassin lady out for vengeance, not assassin, but, you know, out for vigilante type figure. Uh, So seeing her play something this kind of buttoned down and emotionally wrought with that romantic element with a guy the age that Ray finds is, you can see the the problematic nature of of that. It's a difficult sell, but, But uh, you know, apparently it's sold on the emotional
0: side. Yeah. And she's kind of playing to type in this like it's what you'd expect from Carrie Mulligan in a way. It's a period drama. It's you, know,
1: you just hit it on the head there, playing to time. Is it a period drama? Yes, it is. Is she going to be unhappy and physically mistreated <laughs> for a lot of this role? Yes. Yes, she is.
0: Yes. Is there going to be an odd side smile every every other scene? Yes, yeah, <laughs> there possibly is. Um, but look, I, look, I'm quite looking forward to this. Like, I love Johnny Flynn. I know we kind of gave Stardust a bit of a battering. Uh, sorry, yeah. Starman, so well, not
1: for him. St- Stardust, but we didn't. We didn't give it a battery for him. I think we were both quite specific that he was perfectly fine in Stardust.
0: Yeah, he was, and and this is the thing. And he's emerging to be this this brilliant, uh, brilliant actor who's coming up on the kind of indie stakes, moving into more of the mainstream. And what we're seeing now is you know, is him moving into getting a wider fan base through a big Netflix movie that they're putting a lot of uh, emphasis behind. It will be interesting to see, seeing that they couldn't get Nicole Kidman to play the role uh, due to scheduling, whether or not this comes out as a bit of a disjointed movie. But overall, I'm looking forward to it. And it's out next Friday on Netflix.
1: Absolutely. So uh, next week, we've got a couple of movies I'm really looking forward to next week. We've got the reboot of the Wrong Turn series next week, brilliantly entitled Wrong (laughs) Turn. We've also got the stars of two separate streaming movies from recent weeks, the stars of Wild Mountain Time and Outside the Wire. Join forces as Jamie Dornan and Anthony Mackie team up in the sci-fi time travel action as Synchronic out next week as well so you can have a look at those as well as all the movies on freeview streaming dvd and blu-ray so until next week i've been van connor
0: and i've been bex perfect and we shall return